We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Curry steps back. Bang! Forty-seven. This feels like Danny Fortson's old number, or like any number of kind of washed big men that the Warriors had. I don't know. Uh, basically, is... basically someone who starred in the NCAA tournament once, and then the, you know, like like an Ike Diagu type, and then um, the Warriors pick him, and then uh, you know they're not very good because six foot eight guys who can't jump and can't move aren't very good. Like Diago would have been a good number. That one's good. I, I feel like we talked about him before. But listen, there's only two names, and one of them we know, one of them we don't. Dave Latin, there's no way you know who that is. 1968, there's no way. No. Okay, good. Then the number two is Jerry Lucas, 1970. So that one's a little more, yeah. little more popular. I don't know. So, it doesn't old, really old matter. Old white guy. Old white guy. Now, do you remember him? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, th- there's a lot of them. In NBA history, and they all shoot about the same percentage as Lonzo Ball. <laughs> One for twelve tonight, man. From three. How do we? How do we possibly start a Warriors podcast on Lonzo Ball? Well done. I know. Well, I just so I had to click on Jerry Lucas's numbers, and I'm seeing like thirty percent from the field, and I'm like, ah, Lonzo. No, he was he was better than that. He was uh, he was a big man, so he shot fifty percent and averaged like twenty and twenty in the sixties when everyone averaged 20 and 20, if you're a big man, because everyone else shot 30%. I can never get over. I wonder how he dribbled. Oh, we got to pull up. I got to pull up. You, you just, you just segue into whatever stuff we're going to talk about. <laughs> I'm going to pull up some, I'm going to pull up some Jerry Lucas highlights while you, while you talk about Steph's ankles or something. <laughs> um, how, before we get into that, how's your bracket doing? <laughs> I just picked so I don't know anything. I, I stopped watching basketball a couple years uh, college basketball a couple years ago. I used to love it, watch every game on Saturday. Um so I picked Xavier um because I was just like, hey, I didn't know I was like, that's isn't that a mid-major team? Why are they at one seed? So I was like, oh it'd be nice if they won. Um and they choked away a lead. I, I I've got zero out of the teams, and then we have a thing where we can re-pick after a sweet sixteen, and I've already got like two of them wrong. So oh, nice. there's no hope. I don't even know how. You, you already you picked former Warrior coach Eric Musselman's Nevada yes. Wolfpack. Yep. Yep. Uh, and of course they choke it away. 
That was a good game. And yeah, my brackets, I, I lost half my final four in the first two to three days. So I don't know. I picked Michigan State to go to the final four and they lost to Syracuse in a game that represented everything about why college basketball sucks to watch. Oh, you saw you, you saw that game, right? Like Syracuse was just a two three zone fouling every possession. Like they're basically they were more interested in just like you know, making the game as ugly as possible and Michigan State couldn't hit a shot and it was just it was it was terrible, terrible basketball. You know the the, the worst thing about Syracuse is and, and how they play his own defense is that look if you're gonna be boring as crap on one end, at least on the other side figure something out. They're just as ugly on offense. They can't shoot, they can't dribble, they can't score. I only needed to watch like five minutes of that game and I knew what was gonna happen. It was just and, and these kids, I mean, they're literally kids. They're like 18, 19 years old. They're shook. Like, they come into the game, and you watch that number. You watch Virginia go down. And I always feel bad for them because this happens. This even happens to the Warriors when they get to the highest level in the NBA Finals game, even LeBron. is These guys get so scared when they're down, like, 10 points and they're favored. And they're all of a sudden, they're like, holy shit. Like, what if we're the ones that get upset? You know, we're going to be made fun of. And you can see that they're shook. I mean, and, mo- and- momentum's a funny thing. And then when you got momentum – going against you with expectations and the weight of the world. Like I'm sure you felt it when you played in some high school games and like times that adrenaline by a million, you know, like it's, 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 you have to be so mentally strong to be able to like, you know, when you, when you're missing shots, when nothing's going your way, like it's going to happen at some point in a game and it's an elimination game with all these cameras on you to kind of just like chuck, you know, ignore it and just push through it's it's really kind of amazing i can't even imagine them like dude i, I had a championship game in high school at keys Kizar stadium you know where that is and before the game i was dry heaving <laughs> you kind of you kind of would you would you have like 500 people in the gym probably like a couple of thousand. Oh wow okay <laughs> it, it was a large game it's on youtube for those that care lowell versus lincoln 2009 um <laughs> shouts to us winning by one um but yeah, it's and, and that's me. That's just like a scrub. Imagine these guys where they take a there's a pause in the game, there's a timeout or whatever, right? And then you kind of just look around. I don't even think there's tons of fans in in the stadium. And you look around and you can just see these guys. I mean, they're just that Virginia team. I felt so bad for. Yeah, it's like I when felt you so bad for. It actually kind of reminds me of how like you hear Staff or Russ or every pro talk about like you can't think about your misses. You know, you just on to the next play over and over again. It's it's truly how they do play because like if you start dwelling in those moments with just how much attention is on like you you can't do anything so it, the moral of the story is profits are good <laughs> but anyway i don't think you know we could go on about uh your high school championship game at Kizar but i think we should talk about the warriors um, um well where so, should we start? Well, let's start with the injuries. Um, so th- the last week's actually been low-key kind of fun with the just scrub squad. Oh, um, Quinn, Cook, Quinn Cook looks nice. But so we got Steph coming back tomorrow um, or t- coming back on Friday. We got Draymond probably going to be back by Sunday. Draymond's injury is not serious. It's essentially like a bone bruise on – the pelvis or something. I mean, it doesn't sound fun, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been explained to me as essentially we're going to rest him because we can. Um, Clay's got the thumb thing and they said maybe Sunday, but when they when, when I heard maybe Sunday, what I really heard was middle of next week at the earliest. And then Katie's by April 1st. Um, so what's your level of concern with their health? When, so probably, so concern is probably going to be Steph. So yeah, let's honestly, go. Let's let's go through one by one. So okay, least least concerned to most concerned. Yeah, oh, that's okay. That's good. So least concern would be would be Clay, right? I think that's unanimous. I think his. Ooh, you were I just saying, I disagree with you. Um, okay, so you, you, you can, I was gonna I was gonna say my least concern is Draymond. Um. He's got he's got a bone bruise. He'll play through it. I'm not necessarily that concerned. Like if there's someone who can get hopped up on endorphins and 
play an adrenaline and kind of like play above bumps and scratches. It's, it's Draymond. Um, I never really put too much weight into his midseason lazy, you know, like kind of poor play, mostly because Draymond's just not going to be good if he's not going full speed. And he was clearly just not interested in playing full speed in the middle of the season. Um, I think okay. I think he's fine. Um, that shoulder obviously is a little problematic, but he'll play. He'll still make an impact. Okay, so you got Draymond. Um, I mean, I got Draymond third. Um, I go with Clay just because he, he doesn't have a history of anything. This fracture seems like it's minor. Doesn't seem like anything that'll spread. Seems like it's fine and it'll heal. Um, so those are the that's that's probably the least one. Just because he a, doesn't have a history of anything, and it's good because he was wearing down on defense. Um, to your Draymond point, I have him as the second least worried, um, but but mainly because um, but mainly because he's like you said he's played through all the injuries, um, but a little bit concerned just because it doesn't seem like any of them are going to heal, um, at least not this season. That's that's right? fair. So, so the only reason I'm a little more concerned about Clay is Clay. Clay, by the way, probably is the least banged up in terms of just like legs, body, but he did fract. He does have a fracture on his thumb. Uh, Greg Papa today said it's like it's less than a millimeter, but if it was up to three millimeters, they apparently have to operate on his hand. Um, I'm a little concerned with like he's going to play with his thumb wrapped. I don't question his toughness. I just question him jamming it so hard that it gets to a point where he has to have surgery on it. And if he has to have surgery on his hand, you you he's just sit, you can't you can't play through that. It's a shooting hand. What what else is he going to do? Right. Ooh. Dr. Esfendiari coming in with the heat. So, so while he, I'm probably the least, I'm the least concerned about him in terms of like, you know, legs, body, like the type of stuff we're concerned with everyone else. It, it's, it's a little scary having the hand injury on the shooting. Okay. Hand. So here's where we, we tap into how the warriors deal with these things. Cause there's a reason why. And I, we thought he might've been out for a month. And if there was any reason how, you know, they could say, Hey, there's a way he could refracture it, or there's a likely a higher likelihood of refracturing it. They would just sit him for another two weeks. I think the reason why would they would have that back is either saying you can't fracture it more, or it doesn't matter if you come back or not. You can just fracture regardless of whether you had already fractured at that you know one millimeter um, already. So does that make sense? Like either so, way, so they're not does, concerned about um, like if something happens to it, it has nothing to do with playing right. through it. Okay. Right, right. I mean, then that's what I would assume. This staff's been pretty diligent. Um, yeah, it's fair to trust them. They haven't, there's been no medical malfeasance or any like, like remember the Warriors staff um, oh, the first God, year yeah. they made the playoffs where oh, okay. Bogut was misdiagnosed a couple times and uh, obviously they cleared house that summer after that. Like Harrison the, Barnes had the concussion. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So like this, this staff's earned the benefit of the doubt. Um, all right, that's fair. Then maybe maybe I'll give you that. Maybe maybe Draymond or maybe Clay is the one to worry about the least. By the way, on that medical staff, it was it was an Asian dude, so I am sad to see that guy go. But he must have fucked some shit up. Um, I mean, you get, there's there's a few other Asian doctors out there. <laughs> you can you can claim ethnic pride in another way. Yeah, see see for, see for the Persian community, there, there's just not that many of us in the U.S. And then. Um, there's even fewer that work in sports. So if like one is like a high profile, uh, you know, you no got to screw up. Yeah. It It's just like, it's just shame. You know, you got to just commute. You got to excommunicate. You got to hide. You got to start claiming you're Italian or Greek or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just start claiming random people. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, the, number, what do you have for number two? I think me and you probably have two. Katie. I'm I'm less concerned yeah. about KD than Steph. His injury sounds terrible. It, it's like one of the all-time worst uh, on-paper injuries for a short-term injury I've ever heard. It's like rib, rib cartilage disconnected from bone. Ooh. Like, oh, that sounds terrible. And then, but everyone you talk to about it says like, it's not really that. It's like more like cartilage under the bone is bruised. So it's like a deep bruise or something. Um. They said it's not like a tear or a fracture or some, or anything like that. And I'm saying this with a preface. I'm not a doctor. That's just kind of what I've heard and kind of what I've read and, you know, connecting the dots. Yeah. It sounds like this is a pain management thing if it lingers, right? So 
if you've ever like broken your shoulder or chest, like, like I remember I, it was a car accident for me a couple of years ago and, and just getting out of bed hurt my chest. So something like where he probably can't walk or breathe uh, when it's bad, there's pain. So he'll probably, I don't think there's a, a mobility issue kind of thing. So, so maybe moving forward, if he's fully healthy, maybe we'll have some type of pain in the playoffs, but he should be fine. It seems it just always seems like there's something that takes him out a couple weeks at a time every season now, now that this is our second season watching KD. Um, but it never seems like, it always seems like he, he was pretty quick and he's someone that does come back and he looks perfectly fine, which is... I it does seem rare. more preventative. Like they do kind of feel like they'd rather have him play 65 games and have him healthy in the playoffs than um, push him to get to like 78 to 80 games. Um and it makes sense, like given he is seven feet tall. So while he's a wing, like you, he, he's physically a big man, right? And they, 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 they're thinking everything with the, with the idea that like we want a deep playoff run. We don't really care if it costs us a couple of games in January or March in this case. And number one, we already know this one's worrisome. Not gonna lie, the quotes today were terrible. I don't know if you have any of them in front of you, but they're both kind of saying like, yeah, I'm just not going to be a hundred percent. Yeah. I, what, what it, Kerr, Kerr said, this is something that well, Steph said the, probably the most worrisome one. He said when he gets out of bed, he can tell the difference uh, between his two ankles, which is a weird thing to say, which one can assume that one is hurting when he wakes up. Right. And he, he's basically saying like, and Kerr was saying, there's no way he's going to be at a hundred percent until june when he can get healthy right so that's another ominous sign i will say however um i think my theory is that they learned their lesson from last 2016 when they came back and they both insisted uh pretty much throughout the postseason and outside of that that he was healthy right um and they were like hey he's fine he's fine he's fine he's fine and then steph gets a bunch of criticism after and it's like hey you didn't show up for the is, it, is that how you turn is, is that how you interpret it because i feel like they both said like i'm if i'm playing i'm healthy like it wasn't any. They insinuated they wanted, he was pretty they banged. They, LeBron, though. they insinuated they he was banged up. They didn't. They didn't try to hide that he was banged up. In sixteen, they were like, "Yeah, he, you know, he came back from injury because it's the playoffs. You know, in an ideal world, he could have rested a little longer and got it stronger. But it is what it is." I I never re- recalled them being like, "Oh, he's a hundred percent." You know. Yeah, but it's it's still uh, if they wanted to play the me, I, I think this is more. This is my view. It could just be that he's actually hurt. But to to take the op, to take the you know bright side, it, it could be that they're trying to play the narrative a little bit better than they did last time. It's hey, if he's if he's not that great in the playoffs this season, they have somewhat of an excuse or an or an explanation that hey, like the guy has an ankle injury that keeps him from being fully healthy for the entire season. Like when LeBron played in 2015, um, they said he had the shoulder injury, right? Like he said that he still and the back great. injury. Actually, Windhorst had a piece on his back, right? And it, it, it is kind of true. Do you remember that in like 15? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, Bron was amazing in 15 and into 16, but like he definitely looked like he was slowing down. And the miracles of modern science. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Uh, but, but I mean, it, it's true. Like in 15 or in 16, he kind of sat 15 games a year, both years. And he didn't look as explosive as he looks now. He definitely looked a little more banged up. Like he was still great, but he didn't, he didn't look as otherworldly as he looks now. And definitely not as otherworldly as he looked like when he was like 27 or 28. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different that's a so, different topic but yeah. whatever whatever lebron does uh, in the offseason or in the season curry needs to get his hands on that because um at this point i mean what's the other thing the low top shoes apparently though did you see that study show low top shoes don't actually matter in terms of ankle sprain did you see that yeah and it's i believe it um i i just i i guess so Steph is going to apparently wear low tops starting tomorrow and or starting Friday, which is when this is coming out. But uh, my issue with it is like why like just radically changing what you play in and the way you play like, uh, you know, three weeks before the playoffs is why would you do that? You know what? Why? Right. 
um, beyond the the ankle sprain thing, it's like he's spraining his ankle in high tops. I don't believe high tops are actually protecting his ankle any more than low tops would. He wears this monster ankle brace anyway. So I, I don't think the shoe really makes that big of a difference. Um, but just why would he... Why would he just switch it up right now? I really do enjoy the fact that we're so concerned about the ankle to this point that we're arguing about shoe preference. Um, end of the day, it probably doesn't matter. Right? If he's, if he's going to twist that thing, um, non-contact, or he steps on someone's foot, I think it's at the point where any type of twist and he'll probably need to take like 10 minutes. Like if it's a playoffs, and he had that spray, he probably would have came back in, you know, a couple minutes later, right? So I think yeah. any time that happens now, though, I think it's going to be the same thing no matter what. Because any if KD did that same ankle, like he'll be fine, right? Or Draymond or Clay. But I think Steph, no matter what he does um, with the brace, with the shoe, with the rehab, with anything, no matter what he does, if he lands on someone's foot, he's out. Like he's out for that quarter. Like there's uh, he's got he's not going to be able to stay in, and it'll be coming in after. But it'll still be hurt. So, you you know what's funny? Man. I was talking about it um, with Marcus a week ago. Marcus was uh, writing his story on you know the greatest Steph Curry games, and uh, we 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 were talking about that OKC game, the one where he hit like the thirty footer, the February game in two thousand sixteen. You know which one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, Often forgotten, Steph drove to the rim in the third quarter. Westbrook came down on his ankle, like hard. Like Westbrook went to try to block him on a layup, and they were in the air. Steph falls, and Westbrook comes down with all his weight on his ankle. And 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 it, honestly, if you play it back, like people thought Steph broke his ankle right there. Yep. Steph went yep. to the locker room. I thought he was done for the night. Then in the middle of the fourth quarter, he comes back. So he like misses about eight to nine minutes of game time, maybe even a full quarter. Um, and maybe, maybe that's why he was the freshest player in overtime. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think we kind of underrate how often he rolls his ankle and plays through it, you know, just because it's Steph, because we've seen ankles take seasons from him, because we've seen this stuff. We kind of... We, we we kind of forget how often he rolls his ankle and it's nothing and he's played through it in the past. Another optimist take on it. I like it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's not a hundred percent healthy. Um, but I, I don't know what that means. You know, like he only, so, okay, he knows. So, how, how about, how, so, so how about this? How about this? They, they can't, they can win the first and second round. Uh, if Steph takes a game, a couple games off, um, they can maybe win the finals uh, if they play the Raptors or Cavs. If Steph takes a couple of games off, they cannot win the Western Conference Finals, right? If Steph is out a couple of games, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> you're sick. <laughs> I don't know, like, because they can get ultra defensive without Steph. Like Houston's big thing is going to be searching mismatches. So when the game starts, they're going to run plays at Zaza or JaVale or basically any whoever's at center, right? Even Jordan Bell. Um, but when the Warriors go to their death lineup, they're just going to look to hunt Steph and Iso. If Steph's not on the floor, the Warriors will just end up playing another six foot seven guy. And I don't know that that helps Houston that much. Um, especially with the amount they love to slow the ball down. Like all you're doing is letting the Warriors set and have a just gargantuan amount of wingspan everywhere. Yeah, that's true. And then, and then the bigger worries if Steph is playing fully hobbled to which he's like kind of right. a liability on that end of the floor, right. but like Kerr's not going to bench him and I wouldn't bench him either because he's still an offensive positive. But like if he's, so limited physically, it just kind of throws everything off, right? Well, then you're talking about 2016. Then you're talking about a repeat performance, right? You're talking about them hunting Steph, Steph getting into foul trouble, Steph turning the ball over because he's completely out of the game, right? And he, he can't really shoot because he doesn't have rhythm. We're talking about that kind of stuff. And then that's when that's when that's a problem. Um, but then it'll still take, like you're saying, a Houston team to play that great. Because remember that, that Cleveland team was a lot better than they are now. 
um, offensively and defensively. So, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I think, I do think if Steph is out, you'll need some type of KD, like a 35, 10, 10 KD performance. For, yeah. For I mean, we're, games, we're also, we're also running through the scenario where if Steph is hobbled and out, everyone else is a hundred percent healthy and on their a game, you know, like when Steph missed time in 16, Clay and Draymond played out of their minds and they yeah, were, Portland, yeah. yeah. I don't think they're going to be as healthy this year. Like you said, Draymond's shoulders been an issue. He's banged up. Like he's going to play as hard as he possibly can, but like he's more banged up than he was. We don't know how great clay can shoot with the, you know, a wrap on his thumb and KD's banged up. So there, there's a lot of things to be concerned about uh, in terms of health or just like, que- I guess question marks is a better way to put it. It makes it interesting. And I guess this is, this is a good example of why dynasties are difficult. Like it's not, um, it's not just like guys getting bored with each other. It's playing that many games over and over again. And especially when you're the best team, everyone guns for you in a way that like, you don't have those Wednesday night games where everyone's going half speed because that other team is playing you like it's their finals. So warriors are getting, intense defensive attention in every game they play, which means ultimately like more guys hitting, hitting you when you're coming off of screens, uh, more guys being physical with you. Whereas, you know, teams aren't necessarily as physical with Cleveland or I don't know, pick a good team who doesn't necessarily get the opponent as riled up to bring out their all out a game for a game in December or January. By the way, shouts to Houston fans for uh, making fun of Portland for trying hard against them because it's a regular season game. Who the who who are you to be the <laughs> fan base that gets to tell people if they can get up for a game in the regular season? We freaking saw Chris Paul celebrate. Both well, their G- their GM keeps telling everyone he's obsessed with the Warriors, so um, that's always God. you know you, you lose the you lose the cool higher ground of I'm not even trying when you're GM and everyone says that, right? Yeah. And it's the actions, you know what I mean? The actions speak louder than anything that they could say. Like Houston can say that they don't care or whatever, but then we see Chris Paul literally jumping onto tables, like Dwayne Wade saying it's my town when he wins the championship <laughs> in my, like, come on, like, dude, come on. Um, so I want to, I want to ask you this. So, so, any way you slice it, the Warriors are probably not going to enter the playoffs at their healthiest. Um, so who's the first round opponent you would want to see the least? Because I think we're both in agreement. Best case scenario for the Warriors is they get a, a favorable first round matchup where they don't have to work that hard. They sweep it and it gives them extra time to to get their bodies right. So oh, who would okay. be the who would be the worst matchup? OKC, okay. OKC, yeah, it's not even close. OKC, right? not even close. OKC fell to fifth, but I do not think they're going to fall to seven. I mean, you never know, but I, I I think their schedule is fairly favorable to stay above seven. So between the Jazz, I mean, obviously the best case would be like the Clippers <laughs> or the Nuggets, New Orleans Clippers, Nuggets, even Minnesota. I throw in there. Oh, Jazz. see, I disagree. I think Minnesota is the team I'd want to play the least. Mm. Um, and that's what the preface. I think Jimmy comes back. I think right. Jimmy. I think Jimmy and Towns force the Warriors to play a lot more, and and then just Tibbs in general and Taj Gibson, and it's going to force them to play more physical than they probably want to in round one. Um, I, the Jazz would be similar um, in terms of physicality. Um, those would be the teams I probably. Obviously, the Thunder also. I wouldn't want to play any of those teams in the first round if I was the Warriors. I'd want a nice little Pelican series. I I don't think the Clippers are going to get there. It seems like they're too far back. I mean, they're still in it, but they, they kind of have to run the table with someone else falling off. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it does matter. I think I think Minnesota's a bit of a joke. I think Jimmy Butler, if he comes back, he's, he's going to be hurt. They'll rush him back. And then I think the Jazz are... I mean, Donovan Mitchell's a rookie. I don't care how good he is. That's a rookie in a playoff series against. Yeah, but the you got go. You got Gobert. Go um, yeah, but you got you got Jay Crowder, who knows the secret. 
Yeah. So, so <laughs> you no, got Ricky Rubio, who's low key always kind of like falling on people in weird ways. He he always does actually kind of towards the Warriors too. But but listen, the the what is what is going to be good for the Warriors is that I think they get a better second round matchup for themselves than the Rockets. I think the Rockets get OKC in the second round, and the Warriors get Portland in the second round, and that's just easier on the body. Like you don't have Stephen Adams banging into you like Draymond Green, right? And 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 Paul George and Russell Westbrook going right at you. Like you have Portland where it's just CJ and Dame torching threes, the poor man's version of the Warriors. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The reason the the reason you wouldn't want the Warriors to play the Thunder is one hundred percent about Stephen Adams, Russell. Like they're physically superior to the Warriors. They are. I mean. And I, I think the Warriors make easy work of them, but it's that's how that's how you get worn down, you know, yep. in those type yep. of teams. And I wouldn't care about it if it wasn't a situation where the everyone on the Warriors is somewhat banged up. Yeah, but hey, at the, on, the, on the flip side of it, and I was writing about this a couple of weeks ago, I, I do enjoy if the Warriors do have guys banged up and it does force them to, to be the best that they can be. It forces Steph and KD, namely, for me, to be the best that they can be. Like, dream, let's say Draymond and Clay are banged up and Steph is, you know, a little banged up, whatever it is, right? But it forces them to where they're not going to win this series unless Steph and KD go for 70 points together. And that's when we see, like, you know, fuck who they play, right? It's it's we want to see those guys average 30 points. Yeah, it's why. Take it's, over. It's, that's the stuff we want to see. It's why... Um... LeBron went to Miami and everyone's like, oh, super team. And it's, um, you know, it's unfair. And then, but then things changed. And then he had to start pulling these miraculous performances for them to win in 2013. And it it just kind of put him like beyond reproach, if you could say. We haven't seen this Warriors team with KD have to do that because they made easy work of everyone last year. We all want to see them kind of with their backs against the wall and prove why they're as good as we think they are. Uh, That's really what it is, dude. And And I don't know, like it might not be this year. It might not be next year. It might be two years from now, right? And But sooner or later, the Warriors are going to be down 2-1 in a series in the NBA Finals or or 3-2. And they're going to have to go into Toronto or they're going to have to go to Boston. That's when we're going to get the most lit games. Like, that's going to be... It's true. It's why why everyone, like... (laughs) Yeah. The the OKC series, the last three games were the peak of that Warriors team. And they pretty much ran out of gas after that. But that's kind of when we saw that team at its absolute best. They were to- they were physically overpowered, and they just they essentially played their asses off and played perfect games to beat OKC, particularly Game Six. Um, we want to see that. That's kind of like Jordan. Actually, I'll take this back to Jordan. Jordan won six titles, and Jordan was absolutely at his best during the first three. Pete, if you go rewatch some of that, he's just he's on another level compared to his opponent to the point where it looks too easy. Like he averaged 45 in one finals. He averaged like 33 and 11 and something in another final. Like it was easy, but everyone remembers the last final against the jazz where he wasn't even that efficient. The jazz were the better team. Um, Scotty Pippen had back issues. Rodman was kind of on fumes and Jordan was 36 and they still pulled it out purely on like grit. And um, I mean, they were, they, they basically pulled it out when they shouldn't have. And that's the type of thing that makes everyone remember you. You know, you could even say it for LeBron winning the, the 16 finals did more to cement his legacy than oh, anything in oh, Miami, God. even though in Miami he was easily at his best as a player. Like 2013 was LeBron at his absolute best. Uh, but everyone's going to remember 16, and God knows, maybe he has another performance in the next couple of years that takes even a level beyond that. But it, it's it's always those performances where it's like, how did they pull it off? That gets people, that, oh, yeah. that kind of puts you in history. That, that's right. I mean, unless you go 16-0, and 0, right? And the Warriors missed that last year. They went 16-1 in 2015. I mean, as much as you love the championship, I'm talking about like just mass-wise, like that's that's the first championship, but there's not a single defining maybe moment or anything like that last year you get it with katie over lebron 
And as you think about it, the Warriors win three, four, five. Then we're looking at the singular. Like, like what's the singular step moment? There's going to be one that's coming. Like him, like it might be him shooting over Anthony Davis in a Celtics jersey like in 2020. That might, that might be the one. Like, just, just to think that far away. And you're going to get one just because Steph is that great and KD is going to be that great. They're going to have those memories. And that, but that doesn't happen if guys are going to be always going to be healthy and you're going to roll through playing the easiest teams. That's not how it happens. <laughs> it'd be, it, ha- you, it has to be where the Warriors are banged up, running on fumes. And yeah. They have no choice. A little, no a little, str- a little stress is good for you. You know, it, it, it is like, I remember, um, how stressed I was when Memphis was up two one and then the Warriors rolled out in that game. Like a little stress is good for you in those situations. Um, it really kind of like, you know, you, you watch sports. The best moments come when you think they won't come. Not when it's like you're just rolling through something. Um, I want to transition. So, so Ben Cohn of the Wall Street Journal, who, by the way, might be one of the two or three best writers on basketball. He doesn't write a lot, but when he does, his pieces are always super interesting. Wrote about the Warriors in the mid-range. Um, so everyone knows the NBA is now about shooting threes and kind of like the mid range is dying or as Carmelo likes to call it, the lost art, um, you know, no one's, no one's jab stepping and taking contested twos anymore. Mellow laments. Um, and so in this article, it was, it's going on essentially mid, the mid range shot has been going down by percentage across the league. Um, it went from, 33% of shots were mid-range shots a, um, a few years ago. Now it's like 19%. While that's happening, the Warriors have actually upped their mid-range shots. Um, and they're shooting 48.2% on mid-range when the league average is 40%. Um, so they've kind of, in some ways, you know, the Warriors are known for their three-point shooting, but they kind of rank 10th to 15th in terms of attempts. They take about 30 a game. Um, you know, they're by no means the team that takes the most. They're not in the bottom or anything, but they're kind of league average in terms of attempts. But they're getting so much value from the mid-range. Um, and I think it's just kind of interesting because it's like while everyone's trying to go away from the shot, the Warriors are just taking it, and they're making it. I think I, I take it as a franchise that people say are – pioneering something different but i see them as someone that is always fusing a couple of different things one is their own how happy they are blah 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 number two is how they want to model themselves after the spurs so i think this is like it's just ingrained that way i think the spurs greg popovich is someone that i want to always be the person that's changing that you know now i'm making this beautiful game after that, while everybody's trying to copy the beautiful game, now I'm going LaMarcus Aldridge post-ups and ISOs. So I think the Warriors are trying to emulate that and be that team, that pioneer. So I think part of this is pride. It's like, hey, now we started the – we didn't start the three-point movement, but we have the greatest three-point shooters ever. But instead of doing that now because everybody's trying to stop it, we're going to shoot this 15-footer that everybody's been saying is the worst shot in the NBA, and we're going to do that and succeed with it. The and, underlying part of it to yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the underlying part of it to me is no matter what they do, it'll be successful. So it's not like they figured out something that, that is going to be possible for other teams to do. It's just, it doesn't matter what the Warriors do. They're great regardless. So, which I, I think is, you know, I think the story is great. I think what they're doing is great, but I think, I do think part of it is, it's just them kind of showing off that they, no matter what they do, they can be great. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it goes, Valley almost. I think it goes back to their system, which is like, Kerr is a pop and a fill disciple, which is essentially run the system and take what the defense gives you. Um, and so the Warriors are always hunting threes, but teams overplay them on the three-point line arguably more than anyone in the NBA. Like no one's looking to give Steph or Clay open threes. If they do, the Warriors will just take it and kill you, right? But good teams kind of, you know, try to take that out. And then the Warriors kind of first counter to that is kind of like back cuts. And they're really good at cutting off ball and they get a lot of stuff that way. But then when you go against a good team who can kind of protect the rim while selling out on the three, the Warriors just kind of go through their progression and 
they find that 15 to 18 footer and it's usually wide open. You know, KD is one of the best ever from the mid range. And my favorite part of Steph's game this year has been his willingness to take the mid range shot because like everyone jumps at him at the three point line and he gets to the rim when he wants to. But sometimes, I mean, he's, he's shooting 60% on long twos this year. Why not just, you know, pump fake that those guys selling out the three dribble into 15 and take the wide open shot. If it's there for you, you're going to make it at such a high percentage when you're that good. Why not? This is, this kind of goes back to the stark contrast to have with Houston who just refuses to take that shot. And I think it's, it co- it'll cost them in the playoffs if they're not willing to take that shot because by game three or four against a good team who's covering the three point line and covering the rim, if they're not willing to take the shot in the middle range, you know, they're, they're just cutting off the court for themselves. Mm, you're adding Houston. I see again, but it, it it's, it's legitimately true. If you think about it, the, the mid range shot is more valuable in the playoffs, not because it's like a magical shot, but because good defenses are designed to take away the three and take away the rim. You can't cover everything. So this is kind of why Kyrie always seems to become more valuable in the playoffs because he's like amazing at that in-between shot, right? And you sell out on the three and you do everything you can to see off the rim and he just hits 18 footers on you or 15 footers over and over again. Right, right. I mean, I think his is more at the rim, but yeah, I mean, the point- I mean, he does both. You got to be good at shots that, that, that defenses are willing to give you, right? So- so yeah, I mean, end of the day, like whatever whatever the Warriors shoot, be it from the rim, mid range, three point line, half court, they're going to be the best at it. So, um, so I I think in that matter, um, it doesn't matter. I, I think part of what makes it makes them different from Houston um, is that they are willing to adapt to a defense or willing to change, and I think. Part of that is because they failed before in the playoffs. And I think with Houston, with the team that they have now, they're not going to change from ISO game, from high pick and roll game until they lose and they haven't lost yet. So th- so that's something that they'll, they'll quickly figure out when you're switching from Draymond to Clay to Iguodala to KD. And all of a sudden, wait, where is the mismatch, right? We don't actually have the advantage here. And they'll learn to change that. But the Warriors have run their offense before and they failed. So now they're like, okay, we got to figure out different ways to attack a defense. So that's the maturity that, that a team like the Spurs have, right? They have different ways to beat you and the Warriors are maturing where they have different ways to beat you. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that's something that people probably don't care about because um, they look at the regular season um, and they're like, hey, whatever happens there automatically applies to the playoffs. And I mean, me and you, we watched the 73 win season. We saw that that's not the case. Things change in the postseason, and it's not going to be all of a sudden you're going ISO against Kelly Olenek and you're going to have a field day. That's not how it's going to work. Well, I guess unless you're in the East playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to just go ISO against Kelly Olenek, but there's only so many Kelly Olenek's out there. And mainly it's just the one in Miami. So actually, by the way, he's 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 low key, pretty useful player. Shout out Kelly Olenek. You probably have him on your fantasy team, huh? I did have my fantasy team for a period of time. Um, Me too. <laughs> my team didn't make the playoffs this year. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yo, I got him as a uh, I got him as a six seed. I had Cousins and Butler who went out, but the campaign campaign of Mike Muscala are taking me to the finish line here. I'm in the semi. So how they, about they, this? I won fantasy football and I got to the finals and lost last year, the year before. But these last two years, I just have not been able to do anything in fantasy basketball. Um, it's, it's incredible. It's incredibly annoying. It's like low key overthinking. Cause I watch so much hoops. And so I You're start thinking smart people. That's your problem. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying too hard. Whereas football, I'm like a very casual fan. I'm like, Oh, he, he's good. I'll pick him up. Action trends. I don't feel that <laughs> we got, we got one last topic. Cause yesterday I was driving, uh, to UCSF for a game and, uh, and I, I look up, and I see a building being being made. And I'm like, wait. And I forget because nobody really talks about it outside of just slandering the fact that it's being made. 
the Chase Center is being built, and it's gonna and Oracle is gonna be its last final season next year. So, so me and Sam talk a lot about the way that fans are viewed, especially when the team moves to San Francisco. Now, one of the main stereotypes is that the fans are going to be not as raucous or just not as diehard as the ones say we are from East Bay, Sam, right? Or from anywhere that's not San Francisco. So that is probably, that's a pretty predominant stereotype, I'd say, almost considered as fact, right? Yeah, and it kind of bothers me because the Warriors played in San Francisco in the 70s and the 60s initially. And um, you're you're a local San Franciscan. I've lived in San Francisco long enough that I know a bunch of locals. Um, and you talk to any of the older people, they remember going to games of the Cow Palace, and they've been diehard Warrior fans since like the mid-60s. They used, they'd go to Oracle after they moved. So I, I always kind of found that stereotype kind of BS. That stereotype is basically based off of, you know, tech money but like tech money has been going to oracle i don't think that changes anything um and i think more than anything i I think everyone has a stereotype that like oh it's moving to san francisco so it's literally just going to be 2000 google execs like there's not or 20,000 i'm like there's not 20,000 google execs in the bay area no matter what you believe and uh even if there are a lot of very wealthy you know high up vps in tech they're not going to sit in, you know, the middle of the first bowl, much less the second, you know, the, the 200s. That's not how it works. So uh, I've always hated that stereotype. And then there's a third part of it. Like you work on the peninsula. You've lived in San Francisco. There, There is a stereotype that doesn't necessarily match majority of the population who lives here. It's just a stereotype based on like, the economics of tech companies, which have a very small percentage of people who live in the area. Yeah. You going to go into it? <laughs> no, I was going to let you. Um, it's that unless you're basically it's unless you're not Asian or Filipino or, Persian or Indian, unless unless you're not any of those, right? That doesn't count, right? That's a subset of fan that doesn't count. And I think for me, this this is because we don't see Asian fans in Memphis or in OKC, right? We only see basically we only see black people everywhere else, and so we think of them as fans that are only in Oakland and 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 every every other fan base. But you look at the numbers, and the larger subset of that is in San Francisco. I mean, you gave me numbers earlier. I forget, right? Yeah, like I mean, you 30, can go through. You can, so San Francisco's thirty three percent Asian. You go down San Mateo County is about the same. Santa Clara is about the same. Um, they're all incredibly diverse places. And as much as everyone likes to to assume they're all transplants in tech, they're not. It's been that way your whole life, yeah. my whole life. You know, like San Francisco didn't just become a bunch of tech bros from out of town. A bunch of white dudes, yeah. Yeah. Or even like, uh, you know, like Asian dudes moving from out of town, tech bros. Like there's been a large Asian Middle Eastern community on the peninsula for my whole lifetime, if not longer. It's pretty well known. And they're all nuts about hoops. And they always have been. Like, just think of people you know. So I really don't buy any of the stereotypes that like Chase is gonna be radically different than Oracle. Um, I think I think it's gonna be the same like kind of mediocre ish crowd while they're this good because <laughs> tickets are just too expensive. But if they get right. bad, it's still gonna be like raucous kind of working class. Right. No, that's right. I mean, for me to get my Bob Myers on, I think part of this is psychology wise for people that do criticize it, because you see a lot of this criticism isn't just from, um, you know, like Oakland or anywhere else. It's a lot of it is from places outside of California. So you'll see it from, I mean, the New York Times article, things like that. We'll see it from the West. I think part of it is the insecurity in that their fan base is predominantly white. Right. So they they think that specifically that's going to be the case for the Warriors. And that's something that they can make fun of. Like, that's funny. 
right? When that's not ever been the case. So um, I agree with you, though. I think that's a great point in that they're going to say, hey, a lot of people are going to say the Chase Center is not as great. But the thing is, Oracle hasn't been great for years. Like, it hasn't been that loud for years. I remember the first playoff game in 2015. It was amazing. And really, like, it took until, man, it took until Portland in 2016. You remember that game where Steph didn't play? That yeah. was the loudest game that I've heard in years, probably in the four years that I've covered the team. And they, and Steph was ruled out for days. So that was a playoff game where didn't have the two-time MVP, right? And that was one of the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. So I think, like you said, if they lose, if K- if Steph is gone or he's out for season and KD is free agent signed somewhere else, then yeah, you'll get the same fan base. Like, you'll get the same sounds. And it, it's it's I think it's more... It's more the insecurities of hey, you know, which is kind of, you understand it from the Oakland perspective. Yeah, but totally. Then from other pe- well, other people, you know, for other people, it's just more of a hey, we just like to hate on everything else, right? We just want to be miserable. A lot of miserable people out there. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. <laughs> All right, cool. We'll see you uh, next week. Yeah, hopefully everyone's healthy by the next time we record. <laughs>